Thank you, Brother DeMichael. Well, the, uh, your pastor said uh, you might want to just uh, let people know what you're doing. And I was called to this ministry uh, 20 years ago through and by my pastor saying you need to pray about a God and country ministry. You grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. You've worked with the government. You have uh, a firm grasp upon history, and you know your Bible. You're called to preach. He said, so uh, the Lord told me to tell you, you need to pray about this. Now, he didn't say you need to do this. He said you need to pray about it. Well, I prayed that night. The next morning, I told my pastor, Jim Vineyard, that's exactly what I believe God has called me to do. And then I had to figure out how. Because <laughs> no one was doing <clears throat> 20 years ago uh, what God had called me to do. And so I said, Lord, how do you want me to do this? And I asked my wife, honey, you understand that uh, there's going to be some people, pastors, that don't really get what God's called me to do. Uh, they're going to look at this as a... Uh, type of moral majority, which of course it is not. It's never been an organization. It's never been ecumenical, not as long as I've been in charge of the four different ministries that the Lord's allowed me to found. There's a fourth one now called Mission to America and the Prayer Partnership. The other three continue on, but I truly believe this is the next step that God has led me to as he's led me through the first three. And that is, when we look at the premise of everything that's going on in our country, one of the biggest things we see is that we've been purposely dumbed down. Political science is no longer taught in our public schools. Of course, I think I related the incident to you before where I was sitting in the Supreme Court and I asked the gentleman, um, did not the Supreme Court say we can no longer view the Ten Commandments in a public building? And uh, he said, that's right. I said, is this a public building? He said, that's right. And uh, up on the wall was a huge marble relief of all the lawgivers. One was Moses holding the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments written in Hebrew. And this was before hundreds of people on this kind of tour through the Supreme Court. And I asked him then, what's Moses holding? And he said, oh, that's those aren't the Ten Commandments, that's the Bill of Rights. <laughs> now I expected that response from everyone in there. But instead of laughing like you just did of the absurdity of that answer, I looked around and hundreds of people going, oh. <laughs> so I raised my hand again. He didn't want to call on me this time. You know, like that uh, teacher that didn't want to call on the student because they knew what they were going to say. But he had to because everyone kept on looking at me, looking at him. He had asked for questions. I had a question. Finally said yes. I stood up and as loud as I could. I said, I don't believe, I remember Moses being at the Constitutional Convention. <laughs> and I don't remember the Bill of Rights being written on two tablets of stone in Hebrew. <laughs> he blushed, and this is what he said. Oh, I, I know, but that's what we're supposed to say. 
So America has been dumbed down. We need to get educated. We need to know who we are. Once we get educated, we need to get engaged with our government. Remember, the people in Washington, D.C., in your state capital, in your city councils, they are not the government. They represent the government. I'm looking at the government today. Our document begins with we the people. So we are the government. But because we have stopped acting like it, stopped being informed, being involved, interceding in prayer, we've allowed these people in Washington, D.C., many of them, not all of them, there's some very good people there that know exactly what they are, a public servant, but many of them have degenerated into thinking that they're the new aristocracy, the new royalty, and they're telling us what they want us to do without constitutional standards instead of us telling them what they need to do by constitutional standards. The only way that's going to change if we start reaching out and talking to them. That's why tonight I'm going to be bringing you a report in a message that I call the Aaron and Her Ministry and show you photographs of people that we have brought pastors state by state, which I'm doing now all year long from all over the country to come in and pray with their elected officials. And I can host hundreds upon hundreds of pastors throughout the year and have a continual pastoral presence on Capitol Hill. That's what we need. We need to remind them why they're there and graciously let them know that we're holding them accountable. It's something that we need. So interceding in prayer would be the third. Get educated, get engaged, and, and entreat God's mercy upon our country. As your pastor just finished saying, God will do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's a good number of people here today. Do you realize if every single person in here today, from child to grandparents, fervently prayed for God to do something miraculous in our country, he could start changing things overnight. But we need to get out of our comfort zone to entreat God, to ask him to move. I love that old saying that the prayer of man is that slender nerve that moves the omnipotent muscle of God and his divine hand of intervention. And so that's the third thing. The fourth thing is encourage others to do the same. That's why I go out on the weekends and preach and go back in during the week and host pastors coming. And we do those four things, though. We get educated. We get engaged. We entreat God's mercy. We encourage others to do the same. So we can do the most important thing, the number one thing, to evangelize the lost, see people saved, walk down that old-fashioned aisle, get baptized in deep water, and reproduce themselves and others. That is what made America great, is the gospel, the preaching of men. That's why our founders were who they were, because of the preaching of God's men. And the pilgrim forefathers, I looked at the actual facsimile of the document, the Mayflower Compact, where those 106 pilgrims, the separatists, not the Puritans, the separatists, that said, we're doing this by the will of God. Doing what? Establishing a new nation 
for the advancement of Christian of the Christian faith. That's what it's all about. It all comes back to the pulpit. It all comes back to the cross, to the blood that was shed, to the salvation in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that's what we're doing, and I'm very honored to do that, and I'm so thankful for churches just like yours uh, that support my wife and I in a very expensive and liberal area to go in and speak the truth to power and to be able to see these people that are there under a huge amount of pressure to see their eyes begin to glass over to water, to uh, tears sometimes roll down their cheeks and every one of them, oh, please, Dr. Harding, come back and bring more people with you. This is like streams in the desert. This is like oxygen. This is like uh, that light and salt that we so need. And so uh, that's just what... uh, God's called us to do, and we're very thankful and honored and humbled to be able to do this. And uh, this, uh, look, uh, Washington, D.C., it doesn't intimidate me. I grew up there. I started walking into uh, committee hearings as a teenager, just learning. This was before I was even saved, and learning about our government, much different, much freer society in those days. But, hey, it doesn't, uh, I'm not enamored by it. I'm always respectful of it. I am thankful for our Christian heritage, and I look to the heritage of our nation's capital and what it's done instead of just always uh, going to the dark and um, very, very wicked things that are going on in some places. There's some great things going on there as well. And so you and I, we all play a part in this. You, You realize that, right? We are all people that are part of the foundation of this country. And that is what I'd like to speak on. I would like to speak on that this morning, the foundations of our nation. Isaiah chapter 58, if you would please. And again, thank you, Brother DeMichael, for the invitation, for the comfortable accommodations, for a nice soft bed to sleep in. That's a very important thing for a constant traveler. Amen. And, and uh Someone was saying you had a bad electrical storm last night. I said, what time was that? It was 11 o'clock. Well, I didn't hear a thing. Because I left the Washington, D.C. area at 5.30 a.m. yesterday morning. Got here at 3.30 your time, but it would be 6.30 my time. So I traveled for about 13 hours, spoke to the men, and I went to bed rather early last night. And so, uh, I mean, I was out cold. How would you sleep, Brother Harding? I slept like a baby. Sucked my thumb, cried all night. No, I mean, I was out cold. I didn't hear anything. I'm so thankful for a good rest. And I feel good. How many feel good here today? How many are glad to be in church? I always ask this. How many would rather be in church than the best jail in the area? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. Foundations of our nation. Heavenly Father, 
as we bow now before you, we're already thankful for your goodness to us, for your gentleness, your watch care, your grace, your favor, your mercy, Lord, and how that many of us here have accepted the greatest gift I ever offer to mankind that you sent through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be one person here today, visitor, or even someone here, that perhaps is even a member that may not know truly that they're going to heaven. Father, we ask today that through and by your Holy Ghost, that you would search the inward parts of each and every person's heart and mind. And Father, help us to be stirred, to understand, to have these truths revealed to us. Create and maintain a hedge of protection around this assembly. Mind off the wicked and the evil one. Once again, in this busy culture that we live in, all the cares and burdens of life, all the aches and pains of living in this mortal coil, Lord, allow them just to move back and help us to focus on eternal truths so that we might truly, as you have said, occupy until you come. As I step back, once again, illuminate, direct my thoughts, control the stammering tongue, I surrender everything that I am to you. So, Father, please, through and by thy Holy Spirit, lead and guide us into all truth. Lord, we pray this, believing. We pray this with anticipation. And Lord, we pray this by the authority that's in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In world history, as I believe in architecture, foundations are a necessity. Long before any civilization is established, a foundation must be laid. I, I love the fact that the Declaration of Independence was not written by Thomas Jefferson, but compiled by him through messages preached from pulpits just like this decades leading up to that pivotal document that stepped out of the humdrum of society and history into the light of God's Word through and by the words that came from men a foundation began to be set for the greatest nation in modern history. From that foundation, this nation arose. It was a deep foundation. And because of that, our nation has stood the test of time. Onslaughts of socialism, communism, tyranny have attempted to destroy this document based upon our Bible. A perfect document here, not perfect, but amazing, astounding document because it's based upon that document that we call our Bible. The truth is illustrated over and over again through the annals of history. Nations rise and nations fall. When nations fall, great is their destruction. Unbelievable chaos, loss of life, pain. But I sure am glad, once again, that during the past two and a half centuries, approximately, 
America has been nourished to greatness as applying biblical principles to our foundations. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 8 and 9 says this, And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thine heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. This is talking about the nation of Israel. But when we formed as a country, we said we will not and cannot be another theocracy. There's only one of those, that's Israel. But we can emulate from them many things. We can take many of their foundations, their biblical truths, and incorporate them into our country. We may not be a theocracy, but my, oh my, may I say today, we're not a democracy. This is a republic. Amen. And in academics, aside from the spiritual, eternal knowledge of God and His Christ, which is preeminent, in academics, Washington said, the primary object should be the education of our youth in the science of government. People say, government, that's a dirty thing. There is so many scandals there. And the reason why there are scandals is because God's people aren't there. We walked away decades ago. I'm so thankful many are walking back now and reclaiming our rightful place as God's people in God's government that He's given to us. But he goes on to say in Republic, what species of knowledge can be equally important, what duty more pressing than communicating it to those who will be the future guardians of liberties of our country. As Reagan said it this way, we're always only one generation away from losing our freedom. We cannot pass it on through our blood system. We would say today through our DNA. It must be protected, preserved carefully so it can be passed on. Because I'll guarantee you, if it's not passed on, the young people will not live like we've lived. They will not be able to enjoy all the bounties of heaven that we've enjoyed. Daniel Webster said in the 1800s, quote, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. If we in our prosperity, here we are, are true to our Christian religion, if we always live in the fear of God and shall respect His commandments, we may have high hopes for the future of our country. But if we in our prosperity neglect religious instruction, violate the rules of eternal justice, trifle within the injunctions of morality, and recklessly destroy the political constitution which holds us together, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe will overwhelm us and bury us and our glory in profound obscurity. God did it to Israel. He will have no qualms about doing it to America if we don't do what God wants us to do. Aren't you thankful? He's given us grace to do just that. He's given us space of grace 
And it's high time that the people of God recognizes and the church rises up and shores up the foundations that sustain America. We cannot protect these foundations that are under attack if we don't really understand what they are. So I want to go through them today with your permission. A little different of a message, but I believe one so critical to our country. Everyone with me today, say amen. amen. Number one, the foundation of our faith. The groundbreaking of our foundation in Europe was, of course, Wycliffe. Basically um, copying out the Bible in freehand. And then Johannes Gutenberg coming along. Um, I was in the Library of Congress hosting some folks just this last week, and, and I saw one of the full Gutenberg Bibles there. And how it is such an amazing document printed all the way back centuries ago, and it looks brand new today. They have it in a room called the book room. And it starts about the process of man going through time, coming all the way around. And the pinnacle of the book, of course, is the Bible, that light from God that shines on all the rest of the books. I love it. The dawn of liberty, yes, began in Europe, but the destination was America. And I stood where those separatists got on that boat and said, we're doing this by the will of God. And of course, too many times now, what's happened in our country is this book has been relegated to the back shelf. This book, instead of being first and foremost preeminent, has now taken second place to so many other books. And as I fly from one meeting to another throughout the course of the year, I see people voraciously reading these novels, and I wonder, have they ever read the Constitution and, of course, based upon the Bible and God's Word itself? Too many times we need to understand that the fidelity of the faith of these men gave them their fortitude, number two, the fortitude of our founding fathers. History gives us one thing that continues to be the inspiration and guiding light of all those who find it. It's God's Word. That's the thing right there. The Bible by which our founding fathers became, get this now, don't miss this, the wonder of the world. America, who the entire world looked up to at one time for moral guidance, was because of that book right there. Because it was preeminent. And our founding fathers knew that the gospel could change the lives of people and they said, you know, we believe this. It could actually birth a nation, which it did. Here we are. Amen. Amen. Now, may I say this again, echoing what your pastor said at the end of Sunday school. If we could just move purposely away from the natural to the supernatural and discomfort ourselves... Say, how you mean? I mean, do something you've never done before with prayer. I mean, solidifying your mind and heart. I'm going to fast and pray. 
at least one day for our country and see God do some amazing things. Say, why fast, Brother Harding? Because God, he blesses fasting in the most miraculous ways. Fasting and prayer. What we have to realize is faith is a pivotal thing that led to the fortitude of our founding fathers, an incredible drive, desire, determination for cultural victory. We hold it in our hands this morning. They were inexhaustible, unstoppable. They had this heritage passed on to this to them very meticulously. Do you understand George Washington went from 20,000 men in the Continental Army to 3,000, like that. When he went into Valley Forge, Washington himself wondered if this experiment in liberty would even begin. How many times he was seen on his knees in the snow a greatly disparaged man by godless revisionist historians. A godly man that had so much character, it just exuded from his body. He had character because he believed in the God of the Bible. He read his Bible. He had a personal chaplain that he selected, a Baptist. I kind of like that. Men, men like that, with such great faith, as he was at the end of his rope and asked God to do something miraculous, which he did in the Battle of Trenton that I've related before, where his men had nothing to eat and hardly anything to wear and hardly any guns to fight with, and God put in his heart through knowledge invigorated by faith. The Hessians are just a few miles from where you are and they have all the food, clothing, ammunition, and weapons that you need. And God moved upon him in such a way that he lost not a man in the battle. Two men because of the freezing cold temperatures, but not one man. And got all the food and clothing and weapons to carry on. You say, how? Faith. That's why we're here today. That's why we're not subjects to his majesty, King Charles. And that's why we drink and can drink and do drink more coffee than tea. <laughs> I know that was going to strike a nerve right there. Amen? Because I saw the coffee machines right outside. I said, this is my kind of church. Amen? Coffee. Someone came up to me and said, Brother Harding, have you had your coffee yet? I said, coffee? <laughs> you have coffee? It's right there. And I don't know, I don't, I don't think I butt in line, but I wanted to, okay? What I am saying, the, the fidelity, the fortitude, the fabric, the focus of our founding fathers, so amazing. It was the very thing that caused them to continue to go forward. What's our faith doing for us today? Say, Brother Harding, does it get tiring? 
Yeah. But yeah, I tell you what, it's a good fatigue. Amen? I'll show you tonight when those men come into Washington, D.C., 20 and 30-some-year-olds, they have a hard time keeping up with me. You know why? Because I'm focused. I'm excited. Hey, I'm going to go meet with the men and women who are passing the laws. Say, Brother Harding, how, how critical is that? Let me just give you one example here. When Scalia died, the former Supreme Court justice, under very suspicious circumstances, Obama was wanting to force upon the Senate his choice. And I sure am glad for Senator Grassley that stood up and said, no, we're not going to take your... Well, you better take mine, Obama said, because if you don't, when Hillary gets elected, hers is going to be much more liberal than mine. And Senator Grassley said, no, no, we'll just wait, we'll wait and see who gets elected. Um, we were there with pastors. We had just prayed for a senator in his office. After we got through praying, the senator said, I can't even begin to put into words your presence here and the timing, which was so perfect. He said, I just got off the phone with President Obama. He was trying to put pressure on me not to stand with Grassley. I was the pivotal vote. And he wanted me to accept his nominee for the Supreme Court. He said, I was about to fold, thinking that, yeah, Hillary's probably going to get in, so we might as well just, you know, hedge our bets here. He said, and then you walked in, and you sat down, and you told me that you had my back. You prayed for me, and here you are, and here are your wives, and you made this trip all the way here simply to see me. He said, I'm not backing down. I'm not backing up. I'm going to stand. And you know what happened. Hillary didn't get in. Amen. <laughs> hey, man. I've seen the Newsweek magazine with her picture on the cover where everyone thought she was going to, and then they had to take that off and put Donald Trump's picture on the cover. <laughs> I just think that's wonderful. Amen. <laughs> and uh, how President Trump knew he had won when he said, I could buy the fireworks that Hillary was going to use to celebrate her victory, a dime on the dollar. Amen. I knew I'd won. It was just like a businessman. Amen. But the fortitude of our founders led to some amazing things. The formulation of the family. The sacred entity of the family. That first institution that God ordained. It's so important. It's what the church makes up. The family altar is important. The attack upon the family is so egregious. Why? Because the devil hates the traditional family. That's why, and that's why we need to stand up against it. Don't be afraid to say something. See these signs? You see something, say something? 
you see something, don't you? Then say something. It's too long. We've been the silent majority when you start speaking up. Well, how do we speak up? Graciously, the right position, the right disposition. But let's make some phone calls. Let's start rattling some cages. And let's start doing something for our country. Let's make sure that in our homes, we still have the family altar. Amen? Family altars, very important for you and your wife and for your children. So we need to realize some of these things and understand our founding fathers, they knew something. Historians still look at them and wonder as they presided over the war for independence. One expressed amazement that a group of men that their political talent bloomed as if it was touched by some tropical sun. Another declared, we may be amazed, astounded, as well as grateful at the spectacle of the intellectual and the moral and the spiritual caliber of these men. Why? I believe that only God could have assembled that group of men for that time. How do you know the character of these men? By the quotes, not by what historians say about them, but what they said about themselves. I, I love it. Living in Washington, D.C., I have a researcher's card to the Library of Congress. I can go read the original documents. Amen? James Madison, to the General Assembly of State of Virginia, 1778, listen to this, quote, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not on the power of government. People have asked me, Brother Harding, you're involved in government? Oh, uh, yes. We think government's the solution? <laughs> no. I think government's the problem. Why are you there? I'm there to keep the floodgates closed. The solution is God. It goes on to say, he goes on to say, Far from it, we have staked the future of all our political institutions upon our capacity to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God, end quote. James Madison said, we look into the Ten Commandments and we see that the heart of man is desperately wicked. So we need the separation of powers. We need the balance of powers. So if one oversteps, the other one can take it back into constitutional boundaries. And that all happens because so some people say, why aren't they doing that? They're not doing it because we're not telling them to do it. We're not calling them to do it. I mean, one of the very best congressmen we've ever had, I walked into his office and I said, why don't we hobble the Supreme Court by instituting the Constitutional Exceptions Clause? You know what his answer was? Exceptions clause? I looked at his chief of staff. His chief of staff went, I said, can I come back and, and teach you about the exceptions clause that we've used 200 times in our nation's history that gives the power of Congress to accept from the Supreme Court anything they no longer want them to even judge on because they're out of their boundaries? See, if we had known that, 
and told them, and they had known that, Roe v. Wade would have never even been. I'm glad that it's been repealed, but they didn't go far enough. They gave it back to the states. And I think you remember years past when I told you we have a very real chance of Roe v. Wade being repealed. Well, it is. And I said, if it happens, over 30 states will say immediately, you don't have an abortion here. Over 30 states have said that as we sit here today. What that means is 100 babies a day in every state is protected from the abortionist knife on the average. Do the math. It's amazing. Hundreds of thousands of babies. You say, well, it's just going to make it less convenient. They're going to go to another state. Uh, 98% of women have abortions out of pure convenient, convenience. But what I'm saying is, hey, it all comes from us being involved. The framework, number four, of our federal government, one of our great foundations, all government in history has been on a sliding scale between the maxim individual and on one end called anarchy and the maxim of government on the other end called tyranny. It's always slid back and forth, back and forth. But our founding fathers looked into God's word, and you've heard me say this before, and it merits repetition, but whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that balance between the two, Law without liberty is tyranny. Liberty without law is anarchy. But when we have a balance, it's a beautiful thing and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Republicanism, <coughs> excuse me, based from Israel. Exodus 18 and verse 21. Multi-layered representational government. Three branches of government from Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22. The Separation of powers, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Why? Because if you take God out, that's when death starts, as God says himself. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All that hate me love death. Take God out, death comes. That's why communism, millions of people die. And by the way, the first ones that die are the useful idiots that help them get into power. And we have a bunch of those today. Amen. As a, a senator once said just recently, uh, our country was founded by geniuses as being run by idiots. And you can't fix stupid, but you can vote it out. Amen. Happy about that. The fabric of our nation I'm so very glad that nowhere else in the world you can come and you could be an American citizen. But you need to come here. Excuse me. You, and nowhere else in the world, I mean to say, and I misspoke, nowhere else in the world but America, you could become, when you come to America, an American citizen. No hyphenation needed. But you need to come legally. They're not undocumented. They're illegals. You come, you come legally, you come and you learn our language, you uphold our Constitution, and that is America. And it's all because God says in the Bible to Israel, the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. 
Amen? But you need to come here legally. I just can't stand how the liberals continue to rename things. Amen? No one wants to save the jungle, but you can save the rainforest. No one wants to save a swamp, but you can save the wetlands. Huh? I'm sure I'm glad they didn't save the swamp in D.C. because it was a swamp. Still is a swamp. It was a physical swamp at one time. Now it's a governmental and spiritual swamp. I must hasten. The free market system, we need to reinstate that. Very simply, let me just tell you, it's the right to try, it's the right to buy, it's the right to sell, and it's the right to fail. These are foundations of our country that are being eroded. We need to understand these and once again realize failure is a very critical part of the free market system. We cannot allow government to basically subsidize or bail out these corporations because, hey, what I'm saying is we, uh, we need to, if something goes away because of a lack of intuitiveness, inventiveness, uh, competition, let it go because out of it, out of the ashes will come up something bigger and better. Last but not least, the fervency of focus. All of these things, all of these great foundations that are under attack today, they all come back to bringing our lives into that fortitude of foundational truths for the individual. The reason why America is so great is because we do look to the individual. The reason why medical technology has become what it is in the world, it started right here in America. Because it wasn't the collective, it was always centered on the individual. Individual care. That completely revolutionized our, the medical system and the whole concept of medicine throughout the entire world. Up to that point, when you went to a hospital, it was more like a hospice. You went to a hospital to die. When we established our medical technology here because of God's Word, and we looked at the individual, hospitals became places where people could be healed. See how we affected the entire world? Amazing to me. All through and by God's Word put into our Constitution, put into practice through and by our founding fathers and those that have preceded us and to us today, handed to us for the individual and spiritually, most importantly of all. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by sacrifice of himself, as it is appointed unto a man once to die, but after this the judgment. The foundation of God, amazing to me. It stands sure. Nevertheless, the foundation of God 
standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 2 Timothy 2.19. I, I relish in the fact, I'm humbled also, but I relish in the fact that God saved me. Because <laughs> I sure didn't deserve it. Did you deserve it? Did you? Did you deserve it? How about you? I didn't. I know Brother Wells didn't deserve it. <laughs> I love Brother Wells. What I'm saying is, we can't get over the fact that we're saved. And oh, by the way, don't put on a facade. And don't ever have a testimony, please, where you say, well, I know I'm saved because my mom and dad told me that I was saved at four. You need to remember. You need to remember that experience. Now, if you remember it from four, I remember things when I was four or five. I re but don't have a testimony I'm saved because mom and dad say that I am. There may be someone here, and everyone thinks you're a Christian, but you know in your hearts of hearts you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. You know, some of the great pastors of our history, you know what they've said? One of their greatest concerns were large percentages of their congregations that they believe perhaps were not saved. I'm not a preacher of doubt. Because if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God, He witnesses that you are. But if you're not saved, you know that. You know that. Especially, you know, teenagers, the peer pressure is so strong. Well, if, if I come down and, and I say that I'm not saved, people are going to look at me and they're going to, no, people are going to rejoice with you. They're not going to make fun of you. Not, not this crowd. They're going to rejoice with you. Because you see, every knee is going to bow. Only problem is some, is some are going to bow too late. Our nation was given us for the gospel's sake. Our nation was given us for what I'm doing right now, preaching in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his perfect blood for our stained, corrupt blood. I'm so excited that I'm saved. Sometimes I can't stand it. Say, what do you mean? I mean, I get around a group of people and I say, I'm not going to witness to them. I, it's, you know, the setting. And, and the Lord just says, oh, yes, you are, because you're going to heaven. I say, yes, I am. I'm, go I'm going to heaven. And, and I have to. Amen? But what I'm saying is, folks, the, the number one foundation of our nation is Jehovah and his Christ and the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. That's the foundation, the triune God, and he has given us this nation to reach out to others to see people saved. Oh, there's people that are putting their faith in other foundations, for, but here's the problem. Further foundations can no man lay then that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Where's your foundation today? Are you sure? 
that you're sure, that you're sure. It's upon the Lord I am. And, and I'm going to tell people about it. I, I, I am just amazed, astounded that God saved an old sinner like me. Wretched, blind, wicked, and yet has now given me a home in heaven. Who are you today? And you know you're not saved. You, your soul is not resting on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope that you'll raise your hand and come down this old-fashioned aisle and let us pray for you. A little different of an invitation today. But may I ask you to bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes. I want to make this as comfortable as possible. But remember, anything you do for God is out of your comfort zone. Who are you today? Say, Brother Harding, I, I know I'm not saved. I, I want to be saved. I want to know for sure that I have an eternal home in heaven. Brother Harding, here's my hand. Please pray for me. Lift your hand up. Let me pray for you. Yes. Don't know for sure that I'm saved. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Brother Harding, here's my hand. I see one. Is there another? I see one. Take some courage. Brother Harding, please pray for me. And, and look, no one's going to embarrass you, but we want to pray for you. Who else? I know I'm not saved. I know there's some doubts there. The Holy Spirit will not put doubts in your mind. Brother Harding, pray for me. Anyone else like that today? that would say, don't know for sure. If you raise your hand, I pray and will pray for you in just a moment. Just come down and let someone take the Bible so when you walk out of here today, you can know for sure. But here's the other question I have for all of us today. There was a great man that once said, the church must take the right ground in regard to the policy of the nation. Political science is a part of religion in a country such as this. And Christians must do their duty to their country as part of their duty to God. We need to pray for our country. We need to study these great documents based upon our Bible. And we need to pray in such a way perhaps we haven't prayed before. Getting out of our comfort zone. One way to get out of our comfort zone is to submit ourselves to God. One way to submit ourselves to God is to come to an old-fashioned altar. I'm going to ask you right now to stand wherever you are. Stand, and I want you to look right up here at me. If you would stand, everyone, everybody. I want you to put yourself in a position today. You're a soldier. You hear the onslaught of the enemy. You can see the traces of the bullets coming at you. Perhaps you're a teenager, but you're running towards the fire. 
because there's someone that's holding our standard that means everything to our country, what our country is. And you are running <clears throat> and seeing your brothers in arms die. But you're continuing to run to achieve the victory for children and children and millions of children so that they might have the right to come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. Our forefathers told our men this battle is going to settle the fate of millions of souls to come. May I say this? We're in a battle today. It's not political. It's not economical. It's not cultural. It's not educational. It's spiritual. It plays out on all those levels, but it's spiritual. And every one of us are in this battle. Every one of us have a charge every once in a while to go forward and to take the battle at hand. This is one way we can do it. Countless men got on their knees and prayed and got up and ran into battle. That's our country. The personification of sacrifice that literally makes us who we are. I'm going to pray for my country because we need it. And we need God to show up. And we need some miracles from Him. But it starts right here at an old-fashioned altar. Would you come and join me in prayer? You say, what's the sense? That is the devil saying. God is the God of the miracle answer to prayer. The only reason why he's not answering is because we're not praying and there's so much power in a congregation coming together and praying for our nation. I love this country. I've seen men that shouldn't have survived battles but have won the Congressional Medal of Honor against all odds, made it through that battle alive. Most of them are awarded posthumously to their families, but I've met them and talked with them and I believe this, I believe it would honor our God, it would exalt His name and would honor the memory of all those great people that gave that last good measure. If we just got to an old-fashioned altar, say, Lord, I'm going to be praying for some miracles in my country. And I'm going to pray today as a congregation. Would you come right now and join me? Let's not hesitate. If you would just come and at this altar right now and let's pray together. Young people, moms and dads, grandfathers, I don't normally go to the altar, Brother Harding. How bad does it have to get? 
If you saw a mushroom cloud going up over Boise, everyone would be at the altar, guarantee it. Why would we wait? Why don't we preempt that? Let's pray out of determination, not out of desperation today. Let's pray fervently. Oh God, please. We are in dire need of your miraculous hand of intervention. Help us to take one of these foundations and to bolster it, to hold it up, to sure it up, to be repair of the breach. It starts right here. It starts in prayer. This is where the thoughts come. This is where God begins to move upon his people. Right here. Oh God, we know you hear our prayers. Father, we need you. We need you individually. We need you, Lord, to stir our hearts and minds, to give you those, to give us those thoughts, Lord. We need you to intercede in our nation to help the pastors that come and pray with those elected officials to have the words to say. We need to pray for our elected officials. We need to realize, Lord, that you'll continue to allow things to deteriorate until we stand up. We stand up, Lord, and start shoring up those foundations and thank you that we can get up to go right to our knees and begin this journey once again to reclaim the great republic that you've given us, this experiment in liberty. Help not our children to curse us for allowing those great pillars of our nation that are biblically based to be degraded to fall. That every one of us would do our parts. And Father, for this one, raise your hand, not sure that he's saved, that he would ask someone today and get that settled once and for all. We pray this through and by the authority that's in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and thank you, Father. Amen. Let's turn to 578. 578, how firm a foundation. How firm a foundation.
something this morning? Amen. Uh, Brother Harding referenced that electrical storm last night. Uh, that started up and we just shut all the lights down in the house and outside, turned the chairs toward the north and the east, fired up some popcorn <laughs> and watched the show. And you know, I was reminded last night, and really relative to who God is and how big the world and the universe is, I was reminded by a very small token of his power, just how powerful he really is. And folks, in the end, when it's all said and done, we're on the right side. And God is powerful. God is great. And he's given us an inroads with him to tap that power through prayer. What a wonderful privilege. And I'm just reminded last night and this morning of that, that privilege and that need and that duty. Brother uh, Harding will probably say something about this tonight, but he's a good friend to Brother Brad Wells out there. And uh, think of the wonderful church that's been started out there uh, under the shadow of the Supreme Court building, literally, where they meet. And... Uh, and to Brother Fulcher, who's not here this morning. Imagine he's in D.C. this weekend. Some weekends he can't get back. But um, we'll say more about that. Brother, Brother Dave Hahn, would you come here to close us in a word of prayer? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the words that we've heard this morning and the challenge that's been given to us. We want to thank you for Dr. Harding coming. We thank you for his presence there in Washington, D.C., and just the, the opportunity that he has to impact that corner of the world for Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would bless his efforts, help him to advance the cause of Christ as he reaches out to these congressmen and the staffers and all those there on Capitol Hill. Help him to impact those people for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray for, for us, Father, here at, on the home front. And we pray that we would take to heart these things that we heard in terms of the great stewardship of prayer. May we be the stewards that we need to be in terms of prayer and getting a hold of you, Lord. Help us. Uh, may we not put this on the back burner but help us to get a hold of you, to pray, to fast for our country, 
and then to stand back and watch you work. And Lord, we, we pray in faith that you would bring revival to this country. And Lord, that, that you'd bring something that is exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And Lord, uh, that we would stand back and say, what hath God wrought? What a miracle, and give you all the praise and the glory. Thank you again for this day, opportunity to worship you, to hear this great message, and bring us back this evening, Father, to further worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.